Welcome to Recess Tonight. I'm Rob. Hey, it's Alan over here. We found a random bro walking on the street, and he said he liked podcasts. Oh, yeah? Uh, can this bro introduce himself? Yeah, it's uh, Salim Razai. We, uh, we met at La Peg over some Jack and Diets. I believe that is exactly how we met each other. Yeah, I think that's where it started, right? And then we started talking about podcasting, and I'm all the way down in San Antonio, Texas, and run my own website called Rebel EM, but thought maybe I'd come hang out with you guys. I like it. Come slum it in the Hilton Room of Knowledge. I love this room. This is beautiful. We've got the Rebel in the house. In the house! What's up, guys? It's exciting. It totally is exciting. And because of that, I think it's a topic that Alan was chomping at the bit to talk to Salim about because it's something that they share a passion for, possibly. I, I think it goes a little past passion. What's past passion? I don't... It, it usually involves Alan being in the fetal position somewhere. Right, right. I love it. That's so good. So we're here to talk about collars and backboards. Or should we call them collars and backboard nightmares? Or like scare mares? I mean, they belong in one place, the dumpster. I mean, you know, I... Backboards and dumpsters. That's what we should call this. I like it. Backboards and dumpsters. Okay, so let's lay out current state in most places. Hard collars are in use often, either from pre-hospital practitioners or in the ED, we're slapping on collars. And in the backboard world, patients are coming in on backboards sometimes, depending on what happened pre-hospitally. In hospital, putting onto backboards, not ha- happening all that often. Can we agree to that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. So, and then with that, there's some huge issues. And so maybe, Alan, can you lay out your thoughts on them? So f- me personally, I love collars if you need a urine sample. Okay? You put one of those on, you're going to get a urine sample within 30 seconds. Whether or not I think it actually does anything, I don't think it does. In fact, I think it has more iatrogenic problems with it. And Salim, can I send it to you for the data behind it? Yeah, 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 absolutely. So, I mean, when you think about it, like, why do we even put people in collars and backboards? Why, why do we do that? And it's because, well, ATLS tells us that's what we should be doing. And the thought is, is that we immobilize the spine, right? And we decrease spinal cord injury. And there's actually several studies out now that have looked at that. One of them was really interesting. They took normal, healthy people, put them in these hard collars and backboards and put the little head blocks next to them. And they drove them around on this track in an ambulance going 20 miles an hour. (laughs) And you know what they found? There's still lateral movement, even at 20 miles an hour. It was about one centimeter of movement at the cervical spine, two centimeters of movement at the lumbosacral spine, and over two centimeters of lateral movement in the thoracic spine. So that doesn't work. And then there was this other really cool study where they looked at a hospital pre-hospital system in Malaysia, and they compared it to a pre-hospital system in the U.S., And what they did is they basically, the Malaysian system didn't use backboards and collars, and the U.S. system did, and they looked at what they defined as significant spinal cord injury or neurologic deficit, which was paraplegia, quadriplegia, needing a Foley catheter for the rest of your life, which nobody wants, and then death. So any one of those or all three of those, and you know what they found? 11% rate of injury in the Malaysian population with no immobilization, 21% in the U.S. population. Number needed to harm, nine. It's absolutely bonkers. Like when you start thinking about those actual numbers and those statistics, the injury rate in the Malaysian group with the, without the, the collars and backwards, like that's, it's crazy when you compare it to uh, uh, the U.S. numbers where I'm going to guess there's a pretty uh, aggressive collaring of humans that happens. 
Yeah, I mean, if you just walk by, you got a neck, I'm putting you in a collar, <laughs> you know? Totally. You got a back, you're going on a backboard. I, I do hold both of those, and I probably should be on one of those. Yeah, I agree. It's kind of like the drunk that fell down while they were out partying, and then they get collared, and then they end up two hours later in your emerge using the collar as a pillow, or they're breathing through the hole in the back of the collar, and you're like, lay down, hold your C-spine. Meanwhile, they're in the, the protected position. My favorite is the one that was like in a car accident three months ago and has no neuro deficits and walks into the eMERGE and they're like, you know what, you need a collar. It's been three months, you've not cleared yourself yet, let's put you in a collar. That's my, my least favorite. I, I usually go and I'm just walking around ripping collars off everyone, <laughs> you know? So essentially your new, your new title is just Velcro Taker Offer. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Very aggressively. Yeah, no doubt. Okay. Now, Rob, you bring an interesting angle to the collars and backboards. You're a paramedic as well. Yeah, yeah, I am. And, and so the pre-hospital stuff is interesting um, in that a lot of pre-hospital systems are quite protocol driven. And so unfortunately, there isn't a lot of leeway for, you know, critical appraisal of a situation, unfortunately. Um, that's a talk for another day on, on the, the appropriateness of that. But the, the other thing that paramedics bring to it is the scene, right? When I'm crawling through a car that has been totally smashed and it is no longer resembling an automobile because cars nowadays, you know, the impact centers, they're, they're made to take a, a hit. Sometimes that MOI or just my view makes me go, I just, this needs to be a caller. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not using a lot of critical appraisal at that point. I'm purely just looking at a car and what's happened to it. But it behooves me to be worried about my patient, right? Even if they don't have peripheral neuro deficits uh, that are present or midline tenderness. And I think that's the key though, right? So I think these devices are great for safe extrication. And that's the point that you're trying to make is that, yeah, if I'm in this like kind of remote setting or somebody's like kind of, you know, bent in a funny angle or I'm trying to get them out of some hole or a ditch or something. Those things are perfect for that. That's a great way to move someone while keeping them stable. But do we need to keep them in those collars? Do we need to keep them on those backboards? And that's the question that I have and the question that I think we're talking about today. But I think those are fantastic extrication devices and completely understand in that setting why somebody would use those those pieces of equipment. Yeah, totally. And so I have a question for, for you guys, more in-hospital kind of stuff. So when these patients come in, let's say they're on a backboard or say they got a seat collar on, the things that go through my brain as a, as a nurse now is what about pressure sores? What about increasing pain? And then what if eventually we take this guy's airway? So I don't know who wants to answer what, but those are all concerns that I have. You know, I'll speak to it from the critical care lens where I look after them for weeks on an en on end. Uh, but I'm going to bump it over to you, Celine, for the data. For sure. So first of all, let's talk about airway. Okay. okay. So imagine getting this study approved. 70 healthy people go to the OR and you say, we're going to intubate you. And by the way, we're going to intubate you with a collar and without a collar. Good luck getting that approved nowadays. That's right? never going to happen. It's yeah. never going to happen. So, but this is a study that was done. It was 70 volunteers, healthy. They were intubated in an OR setting with and without collars. And the ones that used collars, they found that they had airway trauma with a number needed to harm of 16. Additional maneuvers required to successfully be able to intubate someone, and that could be something as simple as a jaw thrust, that could be like using a bougie or going to your plan B, number needed to harm of eight. 
Ooh. And this is the one that I find the most concerning is failure to intubate. Not being able to intubate them, number needed to harm of 33. Oh. So it definitely makes getting that airway a lot more difficult. As far as pressure ulcers, well, there was a nice systematic review that looked at all trauma studies from 1970 to 2011. And they basically looked at every uh, study that showed uh, pressure ulcers as an outcome. And what they ended up finding is the range was anywhere from 6.8 to 38% pressure ulcers just from the hard cervical collar, right? And when you look at the long backboards, they didn't find any pressure ulcers, but there was definitely significant increase in pain. Now, what about the physical exam? This was a really cool study as well. They basically took 20 healthy people. Um, they put them in a cervical collar and a long, hard backboard, and they let them lay there. And then they literally just started a timer. And they started pushing for midline tenderness at certain times. And at zero, zero of 20 of them had pain. At 40 minutes, three of 20. And at 60 minutes, at one hour, five of 20. So 25% of them were complaining of midline tenderness. How many of us in the ER are using things like Nexus and Canadian CT rules to basically clear these people's necks? So now we're putting them in these devices that are now affecting that. I want my sick trauma patient where they need to be, which is in the recess bay, not in the scanner because their physical exam has changed. And now they turn into a code while they're in the donut of truth. Yeah, and, and Alan and I both have run codes in the CT scanner, and that is a nightmare, right? You're, I mean, especially as a, the transport nurse going over there, and, like, it's all on you, and they're mid-CT, and you're looking at the monitor thinking, are they, they're coding now. Oh, great, 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 great. It's terrible. It's a terrible place to run a code. Yeah, nobody wants to run a code in a CT scanner. I mean, they don't have, like, the ACLS cart there. They don't have, like, mechanical uh, CPR there. I mean, there's nothing there. Like, you need medication. There's no Pixis there. you got to send people running. Um, back to go get the medications that you need. I have literally jumped on a stretcher, like straddled a patient and have been doing like CPR on them till we can get back to the recess room so that I can actually get the things that I need. So nobody wants to run a code in a CT scanner. Was that just living on a fantasy of being George Clooney? No, I mean, I live in Texas, so we kind of, you know, we like to do things like cowboys sometimes. Um, I don't have my concealed license gun, which is what many people think. And I don't ride a horse to work. So I know Got that's it. what a lot of people think. Maybe you guys in Canada. Canada, but that's not how it is down there. I've, I've just been educated in what a Texan is. That's good. Now I know. Now I know. See, the funny, see, it's so paradoxical because in critical care, we actually try to get the callers off as soon as possible. It, it, it's just mind blowing. I started off in the Emerge. We were trying to put the callers on and then here in ICU, it's like, get them off. And it's because usually in the ICU, they're well differentiated at that point. You have your CT, you have all your lines and whatnot. And if you truly have a neck injury, you probably have a head injury with it too. And we know that that collar reduces venous drainage from your head. And that's crazy because if you think about this tight thing around your neck and you can't drain the blood from your brain, you're actually increasing ICP and killing more brains. Yep. And that's actually been shown. I mean, they had a case series of nine patients with a GCS of nine with uh, intracranial bolts. And they were like looking at their pressure in their head and they did it before collar and after collar. And they found that it was like a five to six millimeter of mercury increase in pressure in that head, which we know is not a good thing in traumatic brain injury. And then you want to take it one step further for the uh, ICU and critical care, pulmonary function testing. Oh. They've actually like laid these people down and had them just on the ground without being immobilized doing spirometry. And then they put these collars and these backboards on them. And they have like a one third of a liter decrease in their forced vital capacity. So now you add like pulmonary contusions or broken ribs 
and get, you know, decrease their pulmonary function on top of it. I mean, it's just crazy that we do this to people. Alan's shuddering right now. Like when we talk about pulmonary function testing, he just got really upset and... Are you well, okay now? Well, half the battle in critical care is, oh, man, their lungs are crappy. And then we're just doing more things to harm. I wonder what the need, number needed to harm for that is. Um, now, Rob, we've got, we live north of the border. And we have access to the Canadian C-spine rules is what we use. And what was cool was um, there's this doc out of the University of Ottawa. And his life mission is just to study all of these rules. And he came up with the Canadian C-spine rule. Him and a, a bunch of colleagues out of the University of Ottawa. They came up with a set guideline um, to follow to uh, determine if radiographs were needed to clear a collar. And then he took it a step further. He actually took it and asked the question... Can triage nurses use this tool to clear collars? And um, he studied it first in, uh, it was at CMAG, I think it was in 2010, and then he validated it in 2018. And so if you Google uh, Ian Steele, uh, Canadian C-spine rules, um, triage, uh, we'll have the, the link to the paper in our show notes, you'll actually find that the, the, the nurses clearing C-spines actually had no increased misses or any significant events when compared to their physician colleagues. So it's something to consider is we can, all, we can clear them with the right amount of training and if we follow a validated rule. And, and I agree. And I think like one of the points you're getting on is how does one change a protocol or how does one change a system? And I find that, you know, just sitting down with everybody who's got a stake in whatever it is you're trying to change, getting them at a table and discussing the evidence behind why something works or doesn't work and getting everybody on board is kind of the way that you slowly change protocols. And so by no means am I going to sit here on this podcast and tell all the listeners like we should just throw all backboards and all collars in the dumpster because we've already said as an extrication tool, fantastic. And there's certainly some patients like maybe some that are intoxicated or they have a, a focal neurologic deficit, somebody that we're really worried about. That's not the patient I'm talking about. But what about a patient who has a GCS of 15, has no distracting injury, right? Not intoxicated, no focal neuro deficit. That is not the patient that we need to be keeping in these collars and these backboards. And the point is, is that if they do come in on those, well, we need to get them off as soon and as safely as possible. And so nobody's saying throw these things out, but I would argue that for the majority of like even um, penetrating trauma, Penetrating trauma doesn't need to be on a backboard or a C collar. That's different than blunt trauma, right? So we're not sitting here saying that we should completely throw all these things out, but we should be selective about who we keep on it and we should get them off in a timely manner. I think that's that's a those are, those are killer points and super important to 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 look at. Um, I mean, a massive thank you from from us to you, Salim, on 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 hanging with us and, and talking C collars. It's a huge uh, thrill for us for you to be on the podcast with us. Um, anything else you want to close with? Or are you feeling good there? No, I feel great. I mean, uh, I feel honorary Canadian. You, you were know? definitely honorary can Canadian. I, can I say, what are you talking about? Is that is that a lot? Or it's huge. That's exactly how we sound, I assume, to most Americans. Okay, all right. I think we should end on that. Beautiful. All, all of us at recess tonight. And you can find The Rebel at rebelem.com. Great website. Thanks, y'all. Take care. <laughs>